You are listening to Oblivion. It is January 10th, 2022. I need to correct what I just wrote down because I'm still in 21 mode. Uh, well, good news, David. Uh, I was, again, Saki just made me feel a lot better about the situation with the COVID and the teachers. Uh, she says that um, uh, the president is committed to keeping schools open. Um, and that uh, this is saving the children, actually, because of the deep mental distress and hurt and, and uh, uh, neglect that occurs by children not going to school regularly. So I feel a lot better. So, um, sure. I, I mean, just the, just the name Jen Saki <laughs> makes um, bubbles go off in my brain. <laughs> you mean like uh, um Champagne comfort bubbles, or uh... exactly <laughs> good. Yeah, I'm glad you're feeling good. But yeah, I mean, it's just just to be serious. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, how the, the Democrats now are like the anti labor, pro business. Like, uh, right? Of course, the, the, the yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I thought it was the Republicans that were all like executives ass kisser uh, uh get back to work right Wait. well it kind of reminds me of what i was saying last week about how uh in some ways the the parties have uh switched i mean maybe not in their actual substance but at least in terms of how they are regarded uh, by by voters that the Democrats are now the party of the elite and the people yeah, yeah. who have more money all right, all right. and definitely this uh, this miserable episode of teacher bashing and insisting that they um, get back in the classroom uh, while there's a surge during a pandemic that by the way I think has to be pointed out that a full year into his presidency, Joe Biden has done nothing in terms of getting under control. So if we want to talk about the need for people to get to work, maybe <laughs> that's what Joe Biden needs to do. Yeah, get, get, to, get to work, sleepy Joe. Wake up you know, there. If, if we want to be hard asses about what work really is, it means that you're actually getting something accomplished, right? That you're not just putting in the hours and showing up and going through the motions. Like, let's see some results. Yeah. Hardworking, you know, Mr. Top Gun, trot up to the podium in your aviator glasses, Joe, Joe Biden. Yeah, that's, and, uh, I, th I think the... the um, the inversion you're kind of referring to, maybe the Republican version of that, is this fake populism that that I guess it was mostly a Trump thing, really, uh, that fake populism, right wing populism. I don't even know it should be called populism. But it is. It's, it's, I think fake populism or pseudo populism yeah. would be the. Yeah. Term. So, you know, he he kind of winked at some of these issues like getting people back to work with infrastructure and, and, uh, you know, wink, winking to it. Of course, it was just amazing how not a thing that he 
referred to did he act upon in, <laughs> in the slightest. Um, right. Sure. And again, I'm not saying that this is actually how it is. I mean, I, the the main problem with the Democrats remains what it's been for the last 40 years, which is that they really are not any different than than the Republicans. And that's why everything is at a dead end. And a, a well, as, as Ralph Nader says, dialing for the same dollars. Right. Right. Um, and, and standing for the same uh principles, which is that the the more money you have, the more you are deserving of government and the, the help and the services that government has to offer. Whereas everywhere else in the world, uh, where there's a, at least a little bit of, of brain use going on, it's the opposite. I mean, it's the poorest people who actually need the help. You know, it's like... Um, it's like admitting a perfectly healthy prime athletic specimen into the hospital, you know, to make sure that they're okay. Meanwhile, you have a bunch of sick people trying to get in the hospital and you say, well, you people aren't taking good care of yourselves. That's why you're sick. So uh, we're, we're going to, to ignore you. Um, but nothing uh, like this issue with bashing teachers proves that across the board all of the media are are the same i mean literally uh uh joe scarborough of msnbc was saying precisely the same thing that uh fox news was saying about the teachers right that they they don't want to teach they want to sit around in their pajamas for a couple of days and then get paid their full salary uh, they're a bunch of, of slackers. It's basically just vilifying them and uh, completely distorting and, and misrepresenting um, what the position of, of the teachers uh, in, in Chicago is. It also needs to be pointed out that in the past week, over 4,500 school districts have had to cancel classes simply because there aren't enough people there to show up to run the school. So it's just this complete deliberate blindness and idiocy about how we're just going to pretend this isn't happening. Everything is as it always has been. Uh, it's time for this semester to, smart, to start. Let's get back in the classrooms and then yammering on and on about how they spent millions and millions of dollars and they say that that in the resentful way the joe manchin tone of voice uh way that they always do yeah we actually did our job we spent all this money to make the school safe now get back in there well obviously they haven't made the school safe or these teachers wouldn't say we're not going to go back in there right now but the teachers are absolutely right and regardless of whatever's been done in the schools themselves, until this yet latest surge is over, there shouldn't be any school. In fact, they, I think they should be delaying the start of spring semester at the uh, universities. What but but David, happen? David, come, come on now. The children are going to be harmed. They need to be in school. There's strong, very strong psychological. Do you believe, I mean, to what extent do you believe that even true? Uh, the 
children are being harmed by that. I don't believe school. it. I don't believe it at all. Right, um, right. I think it's I think it's a, a stereotype. Um, it's it's um, I have no doubt that there are. Um, yeah, many, well, for instance, many young students who are perfectly happy. Oh, there's no school this week. Fine with me. Like, what do they care? <laughs> And also the yeah. same thing with the parents. Like the, the this is where you know people are lying when they say parents want their children in school. Really, every single parent in this country of <laughs> individuals and individuality and diversity, every single one thinks this way. There's not one parent in the entire United States of America who thinks, hmm, you know, it really probably would be safer for everyone if we just kept doing the online learning thing. And rather than stick to this idea of the internet as uh, in many ways being this great resource that does make possible certain kinds of activities that previously uh, were not, for example, the ability to access texts without having to mobilize and go to where the texts actually are, like a library, archive, or other public outlet for media, um, you can do some kind of uh, schooling uh, online. The problem is with the online schooling is that no one gave uh, any thought to the fact that since it's going to be done on school, it's, it's going to be done online, it doesn't have to be done exactly precisely the way that a regular school day would be. In other words, mm -hmm. if it's hard for younger children especially to concentrate, which it is when they're in the classroom anyway, it's like, when they're looking at a computer screen, they can't focus. And but if they're, if you put them in a room full of forty other children, and there's one twenty-six-year-old teaching all of them, they're all locked in and focused, like they are uh, working for NASA and it's Apollo thirteen, right? Um, that, that it could have been done differently. That maybe you abbreviate the amount of time, but they're still getting some instruction. But no one's mental health is going to improve until this pandemic is over. As long as we have a pandemic, as long as there's this incredible stress and nervousness and fear pervasive in society, parents, children, and even these people who don't have children, if they count. Um, and by the way, that's another big Democrat thing where they're like the Republicans, as I see a lot of family values um, uh, propaganda or sort of uh, paraphernalia of jargon going on. Uh, with the idea, the children, the children, the parents want this. We've got to get them uh, uh, back in school. Um, but no one's, it's a big joke. No one's mental health is going to get better until uh, the, the, the pandemic is over. Yeah. And you actually can. Pretending that things are normal does not make them normal. Right. The, um, the, the real problem um, for parents, of course, is that we have no uh, uh, child care. Um, right. And so, uh, I mean, basically, that's, that's why. Instead of talking about why don't we have these things and why do we have a labor system where so, parents have to look at this, look at this way. I mean, the, the thing that they can't do is have a situation where, um, um, you know, welfare, these welfare queen uh, parents will be, uh, child care will be paid for. Uh, you can't, that would have to be done if you were going to regularly have school at home, right? Because, right. I mean, the parents, most parents, uh, both of them, goddamn, have to fucking work. Right. Uh, 
and uh, country of freedom, right? It's not a choice. Yeah, I mean, uh, what even happens uh, in that case? I mean, for instance, Louisville, uh, good for them, decided that at least for the time being, they're going to go back online. Uh, right. And of course, what happens with these kids that uh, have to be at home by themselves? I mean, that's not even <laughs> you know, how does that even the work? Hypocrisy of the whole family values uh, mantra that if you really believed in the family, you would you would want to have a child tax credit. You would want to have a free child care and you would want to have a labor system set up where people weren't slaves. Mm. That they didn't have to work all the time because you have to ask yourself. Unless you're a wealthy, uh, la-ti-dah type of, of family, when does the family ever get to spend any time together? And besides, if school gets out at three and the parents are at work until five, you, want, you always have the same problem anyway, right? I mean, what happens with the children for the two hours when they're out of school? Next, and real quickly, just to go back to the earlier discussion about the, the school buildings themselves, the edifice that these millions and millions, like why do you have to say millions the second time? Like if you say we spent millions fixing the school, millions is the same thing as millions and millions because millions is plural. So it's like making a plural word plural, which is redundant, but it just, it just betrays the fact that you're so resentful that as a public servant, you have to do something for the public. Right again, they, these people just don't want to do their jobs. But um, well, no, that, that they, they're doing their jobs very well. Uh, right. I mean, yeah. ignore the, the public. Yeah, well, to to pander to the to the powerful, the business interests, and right. Um, but well said. Very very, very yeah. good point. But what I mean is, in at least in the official right. wink, yeah, yeah, nudge, nudge, the uh, rhetoric. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, what they're supposed to be doing to look out for the public, which really is what they're supposed to be doing. But just very quickly, uh, so I can make this point, we can move on. The, the problem isn't simply the buildings themselves where these teachers and students are going to be, especially if you're thinking about a big city like Chicago. Um, you, you have the mobility factor of how, does, how do all of these people, I mean, we have to be talking about what, tens of thousands of people, how do they get from their dwelling to the classroom and then back? And of course, they're going to be passing through all kinds of different public spaces, whether it's public transportation or a school bus or whatever buildings they may be going in and out of. And if it were like Star Trek and you were a teacher and you could just be beamed straight into your classroom with a mask on in your astronaut suit so that you're protected, maybe then you could say you don't have anything to worry about. But um, then the other thing they're lying about is the, uh, the fact that the children are not affected by um, the coronavirus. Because first with Delta, now with Omicron, it appears that, the, that they have been um, more um, destructive to younger people. I mean, there have been uh, high numbers of, of younger people getting uh, hospitalized and in, in the ICU, um, not to the extent that the adults are, but that doesn't mean that children are impervious to COVID-19. But and then there's finally, there's the, the issue that these students go to school 
And if they get infected, then they, where are they going to go? They're going to go home to their families where they can then spread it to older people who could possibly develop a severe illness like grandma. And uh, so it's just all around a, a bad idea. But one other last idea that I, I want to get out is that it's especially what, what's going on right now is especially just incredibly stupid since we have already been on a break, right? So we know that it's possible for students, for young people not to be in school, and yet somehow society can still function, right? Like what's been going on for the last month? Uh, people have been on break. So of all the times to say, right now we're not going to go back to in-person learning this would be the easiest because people are already not going to school and so you would just delay that right mm -hmm. it's not like everybody's back in school okay everything's back to normal everything's great oh wait we decided uh we were slackers and uh, we don't feel like teaching so <laughs> no school right now yeah so um <clears throat> yeah looking at the curve and uh, reading recently some, uh, like John Hopkins did a study on uh, uh, natural immunity and, and vaccination immunity. Um, wasn't very encouraging as far as uh, pandemic ending, um, because if, if people are not really getting good immunity to it, um, it seems like it's just going to linger, <laughs> and um, so uh, and and you look at this curve here. I mean, it's unbelievable. It once what January of last year, you know, was the big peak that we were hoping it wouldn't get to. And it's just totally blown past it, like oh, three times <laughs> of the peak uh, new reported cases. Um, now, the uh, hospitalizations are right now getting about to last year's level uh, by this graph. Uh, deaths so far are just starting to inch up, so who knows? Maybe um, maybe the surge will be much less in deaths, and that would be, I guess, a good thing. But as far as being optimistic about this, like doing something that will end the pandemic, I don't know if anything is. I mean, no ma no level of shutdowns or masks or uh, social distancing, uh, at least <clears throat> the amount necessary. <clears throat> I mean, if it's con we're constantly having waves, right? Um, I, I mean, are shutdowns practical? I mean, they're definitely not practical without any social support from the government. Um, well, I think, I think practical right now. Say an excellent point, right, right then and there. I mean, that's the thing that's missing in all of this is that there's no inherent reason why a shutdown automatically has to mean uh, that the economy crumbles and that people starve. There's no, um, there's no reason uh, for that. But that again gets back to that the government only exists to. Uh, do the bidding of the of the wealthy and powerful, and that has just completely abdicated its uh, fundamental responsibility. That, I mean, the only thing that makes it uh, legitimate to exist, which is that it helps and it it helps the the people. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the only reason for having it. I mean, if the government's not going to help the people, then you're no worse off <laughs> without a government. 
where you, I'd say you'd be better off, um, uh, says the anarch says the anarchist and the which I would agree with. Then you're only you're only entering into uh, uh, organizational relationships voluntarily, right? They're not um, basically imposed on you. Where you're uh, you're obliged uh, by the foundation of society to um, adhere to uh, the, the government. Uh, but in terms of um, is there any way to actually get the pandemic under control, um, we have to point to China and say yes. Well, but um, I would point to say China if we had done lockdowns like China did in March. Early on. Uh, two Marches ago, uh, right. it could have been done. but. Beyond that point, once it got into the population, we're in the situation, and putting it back in the bottle does not look like it's going to happen, right? Because it's, you know, it's just so. Uh, I mean, just look at this. I'm looking at this map right now. <laughs> you know, it's like beet red everywhere, right? <laughs> you know, right. Um, interestingly, it's kind of not quite as beet red in the in the Ozarks in Missouri, which is. A little interesting. Maybe there's a little is a little immunity from the big spike, uh, right? Because everybody there, there has there. already gotten it, or is dead. <laughs> just just recently got it. You know, everybody did. But, but I mean, what what do you think though about places uh, like the Netherlands that have that went into another basic nationwide hmm. lockdown for about a month? I mean, I, yeah. I still think it's the right thing to do. I mean, you can't just let people get sick and die, overwhelm your healthcare system. And otherwise, just have chaos in terms of your society. And if, if you want to, well, I, but the problem is, is that with our society that does not have any social welfare, uh, yeah, you keep doing these lockdowns. Poor people um, are really going to suffer. Um, more unemployment. Don't you think that's the argument that that should be made, not that from an empirical standpoint there isn't any way to bring this under control. Oh well, yeah, I'm. I think it would bring it under control to a certain extent, but uh, under quote control where it wasn't, you know, a, a, a level that, um, I don't know how to put this, a level that, you know, the flattened curve thing where it's, it's a level that's not going to overtax the hospitalizations and all that. But the problem of actually ending the pandemic, getting, right. exterminating it, um, I'm feeling very pessimistic about that, and 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 well, me that, too. That pessimism, um, um, and, and and it's quite possible. What I'm thinking now is that it's less and less likely, especially if immunity is just so weak. As 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 some sources, pretty credible sources, seem seem to be pointing towards now, uh, that it kind of you keep getting it and. Uh, and it's just so very infectious. And, um, you know, how are we going to get it out of the um, out of the population? And if we don't, um, you know, there's going to be some major chaos because the already there's been pretty. They've been trying to tap it down, but they've already so there's been a incredible damage to the economy just from the initial um, pandemic. 
woes. You know, they claimed it has bounced back and, you know, everything's just fine, really. We're heading in the right direction. Quarterly growth. Yeah, we got good quarterly growth now. Jobs report. The jobs report. <laughs> They're back in the candle factory. Eight dollars an hour. Come on in. Back in the business. Show the good Lord that, that you're serious about getting on the righteous path. Eight dollars an hour. <laughs> That's more than they paid Jesus Christ. <laughs> Go big blue. Anyway, um, I just I, I had to say that because I, I go back to the uh, the priest in Mayfield um, wearing a UK hat of all things with his uh, with his Aryan Marine Corps haircut. I mean, about as inspiring mm. as um, automatic hand dryer. <laughs> well, those ones that blow really hard are kind of kind of cool. You're saying one of the old types is just like, mm. right, right. Yeah, um, I, I, uh, I actually, uh, they have some um, automatic hand dryers uh, in Europe. Last time I was there, they're actually pretty cool. You you put your hand um, uh, straight down, like almost like you, you're you're going to be sticking your hand into a, a the uh, the slot of a toaster. And then when you do that, and it's it's uh, aerodynamically made so that it shapes perfectly to be right around your hand, and it blows the air on it, and it really does get your uh, hands dry pretty pretty quickly, and it's. Um, uh, it's actually nice and uh, and, and smoothing, smoothing, <laughs> soothing. <laughs> Unlike that preacher, uh, yeah, he was soothing and uh, oh God, please shut up, yeah, that kind of way. So yeah, um, yeah, back to uh, finish up uh, my worries about ending the pandemic. Um, yeah, I mean the harm is, you know it. Will will this be the thing that ends the empire? I guess is the the big question. Well, I think I think that has already happened. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're we're an end stage, but there's got to be that final thing where it uh, things really stir up. You know, there's this current stage is this kind of uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, zombie. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah. What? Uh, what is? What's it called? Undead. <laughs> We're in the undead stage. <laughs> Catholic yeah. in the U.S. of A. Uh, yeah. So Not maybe. Alive, it, maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's a good thing. So um, uh, I, I think that this uh, these ideas uh, of yours are. Uh, important we should talk about them for for just a moment when when you say major chaos i mean i agree with you but what what kind of uh events if you could give a couple of examples do you mean by this major chaos well um i mean chaos could maybe be a good thing but i think that if if people are driven um to where there's more wide even more widespread uh uh, poverty and homelessness and um, unemployment, 
uh, you know, people, people start getting in the streets about it. Um, and it's in some in America. <laughs> well, I mean, they definitely did. Remember that we had the George Floyd, uh, you know, it was it was going pretty hot there uh, for a while. Now, it's interesting that um, and kind of the point I'm, I'm getting at with this is that uh, the, the Democrats did what they do best, which is to tamp down social movements and the left, you know, keep the left in check. It's, it's their main uh, purpose. Um, so it was tamped down, um, uh, for the time being, but, you know, I, it's not gone away, right? We still have the same, uh, fascist police state, the cops, you know, beating down on the, pretty much everybody, but the poor and, and, right. and, and the blacks, the browns, uh, and, uh, you know, at some point there's a breaking point and people will, um, you know, now that's one. That I'm not. I'm not saying that I disagree with you, yeah. uh, but that's one point that I'm not so sure about, and it makes mm-hmm. me think of that very much overused term uh, in American discourse, the tipping point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. you know, one of my uh, theses is that the big problem with America is that there never is a tipping point, and that's why it's a it's a dead end, right? It's it's the it's the dead end of, of a culture because no matter what happens, things never build up to a point where people say enough of this and, and we're, we're going to change. I mean, you simply never see it happen. So I'm highly skeptical of any kind of constructive organization happening. I think that when I think about major chaos, I just think about continuous destabilization of the workplace, um, and I, I think about the uh, the the backlog of um, of the supply chain, right? That that's been a, a, an issue. You know, all these ships trying to get into the Los Angeles Harbor to unload basically their junk, right? I mean, this isn't <laughs> stuff that people actually need, but we know how Americans are. They just, no, oh, it's Christmas time. I've got to buy a bunch of stuff, and I got to get this for this person and this for. This. It's like, why do you have to do these things? Like, you have to do them because everybody else is doing them. And it's just these, you know, vacuous, empty vessels of of plasma that function as biomechanisms, but otherwise I don't think are anywhere close to being human beings. I mean, there's no thinking entity. There's no feeling entity. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, organism there that that continues to learn and develop and take in new knowledge and can actually be responsive to external stimuli, which is one of the ways that we distinguish between living and dead things, right? Like you want to see if the person is is uh, is still alive, you shine a, a light on their eyeball, right? And if the pupil goes down, they're still alive. Um, Right, external stimulus. But it's like there is a pandemic happening, and we have to start living as though it is. And everything that I've read uh, on the uh, internet this past week, in addition to the uh, the, the television news, um, in addition to across the board, it's a hundred percent anti-teacher. Um, it basically all says, well, Americans are over it. You know, the attitude seems to be that Americans are, are over it. So 
uh, I think that you're right. Major chaos, I think perpetual destabilization of the workplace, uh, major supply chain issues. Um, it, it's hard not to think at some point that we may, and here's where I think maybe you, uh, you are correct. It's hard not to think that at some point this, this isn't going to begin to affect our food supply. Well, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, um, yeah, I mean, at, at some point it, it could. Um, the thing about the supply chain for agriculture, it, it is mostly domestic as far as the uh, the basis of it. Uh, I'm sure plenty of imports have been uh, harmed by that, but uh, probably can't. Your bananas are real expensive now. God damn. But, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, things, uh, California, uh, most of it's grown there. So, uh, the supply, global supply chain thing, uh, <clears throat> has yet to be a problem. But, uh, man, when the chaos really comes, man, that's when we're going to be like fighting for each meal, man. You better but, make, I mean, you got to, make sure you got the biggest gun, man, because that's the only way you're going to survive. We don't dial nine one one. But even though the the food supply the uh, is not is is domestic, I mean there still is a supply chain there, and I just start to wonder about. For example, in twenty twenty, I thought that the real heroes of the nation were all of the um, the truck drivers, the grocery store workers. And the, the people who actually worked in the, the meat factories and these other plants where all of this abundant packaged food is actually made, right? I mean, they kept us alive at incredible risk to themselves and their families. And the thing is that the, the first year of a, of a crisis, people can kind of have a, a light at the end of the tunnel and they can be kind of um, um, in, in inspired, and uh, they can uh, they can they can muster the the wherewithal to to push through an incredibly difficult situation. Also with the the healthcare workers, but Aristotle said that when there is an endpoint that a person can see, they can feel motivated to finish what they're doing. Right? If you're a runner and you see the finish line off in the distance, it can motivate you to keep running. But when there is no finish line, when there is no light at the end of the tunnel, um, then it is a matter of time before that kind of motivation uh, is going to wane. And I also just think about people getting sick, and, and, you're, and you're, uh, you're right, another, another good point is the, uh, the, the immunity, that the immunity doesn't seem to last as long as we might have hoped. Uh, certainly the natural immunity with people getting reinfected, but I just, if you have all of these people sick in grocery stores, and if you have all of these truck drivers uh, sick, I mean, I, I can't see how that's not going to cause a problem. And, and one of the pitfalls of our... You're just going to have to walk through the sickness. It's, you know, that's what these, uh, that's how they'll um, do it now is, 
Well, you've got the vaccine. You're just you're not as sick as you would have been otherwise. You're not going to have to go to the hospital. You can still work. <laughs> right. Well, that's basically what they've done in uh, for the healthcare in California, right? Yeah. Where they just said if you're a healthcare worker and you've got COVID, keep going to the uh, hospital. Now that tells me right there that I think you're onto something with the major chaos because as tempted as I am to be cynical, uh, I, it's it's hard to think of California as being uh, like Florida. So to give uh, Gavin Newsom the benefit of, of the doubt, and in, in general, I like the way that California operates. I mean, I just like, why can't the whole country just be like, California. It would all be a, a much better place. But to give uh, uh, Newsom the, the benefit of the doubt, I can't help but think that, that people are telling him, Newsom, that if you keep making these healthcare workers wait and not show up to work when they're positive with COVID, we're not going to have any healthcare workers. <laughs> like you'll go to the hospital and there won't be anyone there. <laughs> You know, they're going to start establishing squatters' rights in hospitals because there just won't be anybody there to man them. And um, and one of the pitfalls of our snobby attitude about human beings and about the work that people do is people don't understand that being a truck driver is a skilled job. Uh, not just anyone can operate a truck, can can operate it safely and professionally, and can drive for those distances and and be able to to back the big uh semi truck into its um cargo bay area when it gets to its destination then I mean, you have to be very careful about just letting everybody uh get sick um and you're also right to point out that the absence of these social programs is the major barrier into being able to implement any kind of shutdowns or lockdowns that can at least get this under some kind of control. I mean, it's it's one thing to say the pandemic is absolutely over, right? But it, it can't just be between that option and let it run completely and absolutely wild, which is what we're doing here. You know, I mean, you can't, maybe you can't put the fire out, but that doesn't mean you have to be uh, pouring gasoline on it to use uh, a kind of a, a common metaphor. <clears throat> um, yeah, I was just reading the uh, uh, tweet. Uh, <clears throat> uh, says uh, the bleak irony of the Biden administration reducing its COVID response to blame the unvaccinated when the administration itself is seriously responsible has serious responsibility for the fact that huge swaths of the globe, mainly the global south, do not have sufficient access to vaccines and. Uh, yeah, and and part of this, unfortunately, the the, um, the Democrat establishment uh, have used this um, snobbish thing you're talking about, uh, used the vaccine as part of it, right? Because uh, basically now, um, uh, if you're vaccinated, you don't have anything to worry about. You don't have to wear a mask. You can go to work just fine. You can go to a concert. You can go out to eat. Um, that's just fine. It's the unvaccinated that are the problem here, right? Uh, we can, you right. can go back to school, but, um, but as long as you're vaccinated, it's okay. So it's this 
um, and it's of course totally false. Um, and and it's the opposite kind of message you should be giving about what vaccinations are. And they're, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's to help everybody. It's not just to help yourself and then be able to. Right. And uh, on top of it, it's not even it's not even it's not even true. Right. It's you know, when you're vaccinated, sure, you're offered some protection, but it's not really sufficient. Uh, right. It's, it's an it's, anti-science mentality advocating yeah. for science. Yeah. What you really need is you, the dialism. you need a you need a synergistic approach to getting the pandemic under control and then ending it where you need everyone to be vaccinated. You need everyone to wear a mask. You need everyone to avoid large crowds. You need everyone to um, socially uh, distance and, and wash their hands. And, uh, and I, I think you're right that just telling people, okay, now that you're vaccinated, you can just go out and do, do everything that you want. And, um, that's where I think everything really fell apart uh, for the Biden administration and, and where I just think that they're total liars is when they, they uh, you know, uh, poor Biden just had his heart set on that July 4th was going to be, we're declaring our independence from the coronavirus. <laughs> and With the flies, no it, imper- flies into an aircraft carrier. Yeah. Right. There, there was no, um, right, you're referencing, uh, uh, George W. Bush landing and, uh, the mission uh, accomplished in May of 2003. Right. Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, let, let's see. I mean, there was no empirical basis for saying that the pandemic was over. In fact, we had the opposite. We had we had evidence that not only was it not over, but it was getting worse because that was when the Delta variant had emerged in India. And what's so maddening is that 2021 was just pandemic 2.0. It was a complete repeat of 2020. So if Joe Biden had any kind of character, any kind of brains, if he had learned anything from the year 2020, um, 2021, it would have been plain as day to see what was happening because just like the original coronavirus happens in China, then it hits uh, Italy, Europe, and then boom, it's in the United States. And Delta doesn't hit China because China actually got it together and dealt with it. But it hit in India, right? But you're still talking about uh, East Asia, right? And then boom, it's, it's here in the United States. And really from that um, end of July into August on, the entire year of 2021 uh, was was lost. And um, I guess a couple of things come to mind. One is the only kind of, um, and I don't even want to use the word uh, optimism, but in terms of there maybe being some kind of, of improvement, some kind of end game that you could think about, it's, it's not uh, from the political level, but biological which is that there is a, a report came out uh, yesterday. Uh, it hasn't been uh, verified, but uh, some people are saying that Omicron is a hundred times less lethal than Delta. 
And so the argument is that over time, viruses, in order to survive, which is the ultimate goal of any living organism, um, they become more infectious but less deadly, right? It's, a, it's, it's fundamental to evolution, right? If the thing wants to stay alive, it can't become so deadly that it kills everyone or it also dies. And, and maybe the Omicron is the beginning of this transition to where it will be impossible not to get it and, and to keep it out, but it becomes less deadly. But in terms of a, a political means to bring the pandemic under control, I think you're absolutely right. Like that is not going to happen. In the United States, it won't happen. I mean, either there will be a, a biological end to this nightmare or the nightmare will uh, will will go on and i then i just think about the black death 1347 to 1351 somehow the black death ended so uh one way or another it'll cycle through and just kill so many people i don't know exactly how the black death ended or, or why um but I would just have to say that you're talking, uh, what, another three years of, of, of this, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. And will, will this plan to try to normalize it and to just make people to accept, well, I mean, what's been the average per year? Like nearly a half million dead a year? Uh, 400,000. 400,000 a year. So um, will people just start accepting that as <laughs> absolutely in America they will of course they will so well, we yeah, don't have an anti-war movement right oh we have to have a war oh okay oh we killed some civilians oh okay yeah Kill, killed a few million people in Iraq it is what it is <laughs> just deal with it it's not perfect I mean did, did you hear any outrage when the 13 civilians were killed at the end of the uh, butchered Afghanistan withdrawal. Well, a little, oh. a little, a little bit. Um, right, a little but, bit from the same people, right? Yeah. The, the same marginalized, um, slandered as being radical people. But no, it's just, well, um, it's kind of in a um, to go off of of the of that uh, drones. Um, I did hear something. I need to verify this, but um, it, it sounds like it's very possible. And it's easy to find out because there's these watchdog groups that uh, track bombings and drone attacks uh, that apparently Biden is like cut back seriously on the drone uh, attacks. Uh, very few drone attacks uh, past period. And um now, maybe they mean the ones that he orders. And I don't even know if um, the one in Afghanistan may have not even been like something that he was on his, I don't know, Terror Tuesday uh, kill list, you know, right. whatever whatever that thing they do in the White House now, before there's like, you're the executioner. You've got the... You've they had to make themselves look good after the withdrawal was so botched and after they clearly were just just totally wrong or lying through their teeth when they said that the Afghan government would be able to hold up and that the Taliban wouldn't uh, be able to um, 
take over the country, which they did basically overnight. I mean, it was just like suddenly they had come a little bit toward Kabul and then they had taken over everything but Kabul. And then it was like, well, um, it's a, it maybe a uh, Kabul will hold for a month. And then within a week that had fallen. And I was just, uh, of course they pulled the rug out from under, uh, the Afghans, uh, take all the money away and add sanctions, punish them for winning. And, uh, you know, and now I was just reading that, like over half the population is already food insecure, starving, starving them basically. Food insecure, <laughs> not Another feeling insecure. <laughs> yeah. More collateral damage. <laughs> All right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So I, I, I like your cynical take there. Now, but I'll t- I'll take it. Right. I mean, they are humiliated into not bombing as much. So it's okay. That's that's good for now. For now. But, I mean, of course, they're, there's this just amazing. I've been watching this unfold for the last month or two, this uh, Russia-Ukraine straw man war. I was just going to bring that up. And the straw man is <laughs> the, the perfect. <laughs> I, I guess it should be called the straw man war because it's just, like, completely made up. I mean, you couldn't get more like this. The truth numbers are dilly up on the border. If they attack, they we're going to do this, this, and this. And we're going to. Um, anything, anything to keep the the Cold War alive. It's the Cuban Missile Crisis, two point oh, never ended. Right when when I when uh, when you look like a completely weak and ineffectual leader, talk about Russia. Watch out! Watch out! Yeah. So of course, it's also, uh, and this is uh, probably something we we should uh, we should get to is um, uh, with the anniversary of January the sixth uh, just having uh, passed. Uh, that's it, it's not lost on me that that's the big reason for suddenly making a big deal about Putin and Russia because uh, Putin was uh, was Trump's friend, huh. and and now we have to be serious about. Uh, he was his employer. The, the threat to democracy. So, so think about this. Why would Joe Biden suddenly, in year number two of his presidency, make a big deal about January the sixth and the 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 fate of our democracy is at stake when, for his entire first year of being president, he never mentioned these things. Hmm. I wonder why. Well, they, I'll they, tell you why. Um, it's yeah. because it's midterms, right? So by talking about uh, Donald Trump led the insurrection and all of that, uh, we can take our mind off of everything else, the, the pandemic, uh, the prohibition party of the uh, sadists, you know, fetishizing their uh, need for victims and, and continuing to throw uh, pot smokers in jail and deny people uh, access to, to medicine and deny them, you know, relief from their symptoms. And, and what a total jerk uh, Joe Biden is on, on that issue. That has to be uh, constantly repeated. But here's the thing. If Biden had made a big deal about January the 6th, 
from the very beginning of his presidency, and it had been a it had been a, uh, a regular message. It had been a main message of his first year as presidency. Then there wouldn't have been any way for him to, at the same time, have kept the left in check. If that if that makes sense. In yeah. other words, if if you're as the president going to say at the very beginning of your presidency, our democracy is at stake. We face the threat of of fascism. Uh, January 6th was an uh, insurrection and an assault upon our democracy. Now you're giving yourself a mandate that you have to do something for the people in order to preserve the democracy, right? Because the reason that fascist dictators come into power is that they're filling a void left by uh, a democracy that is really a sham democracy that doesn't do anything for the people. So conveniently, in Biden's first year, he didn't have anything to say about January the 6th. He didn't have anything to say about the, the real possibility that America is going to go into civil war and become a fascist dictatorship because he didn't want to do any of the leftist things that would have actually prevented that from happening. But now that it's midterms, he can now start talking about how bad the Republicans are and how bad January the 6th is because it can serve as a smokescreen or a distraction from the things that Biden is not doing anything about, which I, as I recall, predicted a year ago. I said, the whole point of Biden's presidency will just be to make sure that in his very first year, nothing gets done and nothing changes because then it'll be 2022 and it'll be all about midterms. And then after, after the midterms, it can be all about that he's got to get reelected. And that, that's all that you can talk about. But I'll guarantee you right now that for the entire 2022 year, we're not going to hear anything about the pandemic. We're not going to hear anything about legalizing pot. We're not going to hear anything about uh, extending this child tax credit, doing anything, uh, getting a bill back better passed. It's all going to be midterms, midterms, midterms. And not that you have any reason to vote for us, but you better vote against the Republicans because they're bad in January 6th and threat to our democracy. The biggest threat to democracy. If only we had one. Uh, here's, a, here's another interesting thing uh, to, to ponder. Uh, people have been saying that the uh, these... Uh, the, the knowing um, have, have started to put out these uh, polemics about how America will transition into a, a dictatorship. And what they what they said was, uh, you know, Donald Trump will be uh, the the lead man, right? The, the blowhard who will get in there and just totally dismantle the democracy and, and he'll be very uh, draconian and, and forceful in, in getting his uh, dictatorship implemented. But then after Trump, then you get someone who is um, calmer and, and more even keeled. And the job of this person is to normalize the dictatorship, right? Now, think for just a second, but if, if I were going to say, all of this has already happened. 
who would have been the calm person to come in and normalize a dictatorship after we had a draconian authoritarian administration? Who might that have been? Uh, Bernie Sanders. The Obama con. <laughs> right. So my my rebuttal, like my counter thesis to this is that all of this has already happened. Right. Our democracy ended in November of 2000. Right. When the person when the, the person who the voters voted to be president, the the government said, nope, that's not going to be your president. It's going to be George Bush. Right. The Supreme Court appointed the president. That is a dictatorship. That is exactly what a dictatorship is. Right. The government says who the leader is going to be. And then after eight years of um, to this day, a completely confounding, unexplained major terrorist attack, which then led to two wars one of which didn't end until last year after 20 years, that is a dictatorship. I mean, that's what dictatorships do, right? They're all about violence, war, the use of force, strong arming their way into, into how society is going to be organized and run. And then after Bush and Cheney are gone, you get the Obamacon smooth in there to get everybody to just accept it, right? You you get you get the Obamacon in there to basically tame everyone, to get everybody to calm down and be like, this is how it's going to be, right? We're not going to jail the bankers. We're going to give them their $700 billion. We're going to keep these wars going. Um, we're going to spy on everybody. Right. We're going to keep the war on drugs going. Uh, we're going to double down on prohibition even after four states legalize it. You know, two did it in uh, 2012, two more did it in 2014. So all of this has already happened. Um, so that does not at all mean that I relish the idea that we could actually have um, Donald Trump be president again. I mean, I don't want that to happen. But just because I don't want that to happen doesn't mean I'm willing to to uh, go along with the idea that that uh, Biden is is uh, is actually the leader of a democracy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I ain't going along with it. All right, man. So wrap it up. Um. All right then. Uh, thank you for listening. This has been the, uh, I believe, is this the second week of Oblivion podcast for the new year uh, 2022? Yes, indeed. All right, then. Until next week, this is Dr. David W. Overby for David Vernon Miller, and you've been listening to the Oblivion podcast. See you next week.